Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the GAA Hour with Dear Middling on Sports Joe. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Hurling Show. Uh, I'm joined in coming in from... I don't know, somewhere in Galway, uh, Tony, o, Tony O'Gregan, how are you doing? Great to have you. Hi, Jeremy, thanks a million for having me on. Where are you, Tony? Uh, I'm in the house in Athen Rye here at the moment, yeah. Oh, Henri, by the place of the Kings, lovely. And in studio, I have Niall Moore. Niall, your first uh, time with this, well, Tony's as well, but your first time with this, great to have you. Cheers, because we're not long gone to bed, because we're just up out of it there. Limerick was hopping last night, uh, DJ, JJ Hartigan playing it till late last night, so... Uh, I I'm probably the only Limerick man who could get a hold of this morning. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's not much. There's not much going home in you. Know, no, no, um, how outside of outside of that? How is uh, your your? I know you're teaching. I was looking at you um, giving rousing speeches on, on on the interweb. I know we won't go into it. I know there's enough of that, and that's all fine. Um, but you're 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 back farming as well. Yeah, I do a bit of farming. Guess so. I suppose. Look, when, when we finished up hurling, we we had a farm at home. The father was doing uh, dairy cows for forty forty five odd years, and towards the end of my time, he, he got out of them like everything else. He had three boys and. None of us were kind of champing at the bit while we were hurling, but uh, no, I went back in there about so eight, ten years ago at this stage and kind of built them all back up slowly. So it's been busy. Uh, yeah, it's a tough life, kids. We I, I do them there in the morning before I come into school and do them in the evening, and like uh, it's a tough life now. I, you know, any fella who has gone through it, it's uh, it's an enduring lifestyle. Well, it, ser- it certainly serves you well physically because you're still you know you're you're still as probably powerful as you were when you were playing, but. What's why is that? Why is it so? Like it seems everywhere else in the country that there's, I mean, everybody's trying to get a little bit of land under them, and they can't because you know prices are sky high and everything. I know farming is is different to that in some respects, but it seems like the next generation, the current generation of young people, are are, are saying no to. To, to inheriting farms like which which to my mind is is, is bananas there, there, in some respects. Why is that? Yeah, there's huge there's huge pressure, Gizzy. And uh, uh, to be fair to our father at home, like, uh, mo- uh, no different to most farms. Education has always been to the forefront of any farm household, and that was always the thing you went away and got your education. And no pressure was ever put on to come back. But I suppose it, it, it's who you are. It, it's our place of being. Like people pass the road, well, that's the Morns Farm, and yeah. it, our farm it had a great story behind it. It was an old mansion, the Hermitage. It was owned by a guy called Lord Massey, a Liverpool. In Lord, he actually lost it in a game of poker. Would you believe? I had to buy it back, and this now it wasn't any old old farm. Yeah. And then it, it wasn't came, any old game of poker. No, no, no. no. And, and around that time, where we are in Castlecanal, we're situated on the Shannon, so there'd been a lot of old uh, English estates. I suppose going back there to the late after the War of Independence, they were all burnt out. Mm. Uh, a lot of them were burnt out. So yeah. our farm came into the Land Commission, and my uncle, who was a bachelor at the time, um, he he married it. He uh, sorry, he bought it after the Land Commission, and eventually got married. He was probably looking well after buying a farm he's probably his credit rating came up big time Yeah, and uh, so his dad came down he got a phone call one day the uncle had died and father was 24 or 5 and uh, he was played a lot of football in Tipperary he was actually a cousin of Babs Keaton and he would have won county underage with Art Finnan and he was told hey that's there you've got to go 
And I often look at it now as probably a fully formed adult. I said, Jesus, he gave up his whole life to come back to it. And I suppose a part of me kind of sees it in myself that look, that pride of home, what he did, what my uncle did, and you're back at it. And it's probably not the right, it's not the right mentality behind it to say to 20-somethings like this is what life is about. You're giving up of what you want to do to keep a family name. And I suppose, look, I sometimes look at it and see why there's a huge instance of suicide amongst farmers. Yeah. Uh, and I've actually seen it probably where ne- the, heir to, the heir to the throne, in some cases, even in our not-so-distant locality, lads have just said that they can't go on with it and the pressure was too much for them. And uh, oftentimes you say, Jesus, farmers are mad and mad, but like, there's an isolation that goes with it. Yeah. And yeah. like at home in my house, they'd say, Jesus, you're doing two jobs. Why do you do it? But if I can make school, <laughs> trust me, there's a lot of mornings there, Tony, you'd appreciate it. You would uh, you'd be late. You'd be lads covering your arse there trying to make it to school. But it's a social isolation. Even to this day, I find it very, very hard. And that's why I'd never give up my teaching job to go with it. And uh, it's a tough life because it is a tough life. And I suppose now more than ever, we need fellas producing food. But at what cost to... They talk about the environment, but at what cost to people's mental health too sometimes? Well, one of the things is... <laughs> And there's so much hurling to get to, I know, but it's just, it, it, when you're here, like, the, I suppose you see the, like, what we need and what we can produce here in particular and a place being designated as, like, you know, this, you know, we cattle will be our thing and we'd say down in Wexford, uh, southwest Wexford might be grain or whatever and you've got these designated areas and it seems like it's at the cost of the local knowledge of a place and when that becomes devalued because you're filling in forms from a European wide plan that says that's grown here that's going to be here we'll have tourism there and it's all kind of mapped out sometimes like one of the reasons for a joyful approach to your work is you're kind of you're entrusted with what you do in your area and you don't need like you shouldn't in some senses have to answer to somebody else that tells you this is what you need and this is how you need to do it because you know your area and you, you know your place well, well. That, that's for an older generation Gizzy like okay look we have these cross compliances and every year you have single farm payments to meet for Europe whatever else and look I'm, I'm lucky enough I came through third level education by hook by cook I got through it with right crack coming through it now to be honest but as in I suppose look paperwork would never uh, would never be too bad for likes of me but there's a different generation that I deal with every day and it's the it's the strain and the stress of the unknown and the worry that goes with it and for these lads they know their farms they know their people they would have come out of originally places where the metal was a huge thing yeah like the metal was a huge thing at harvest time you'd go you'd, you'd bring your milk to the creamery you'd like there was such social interaction it was the hub of a community mm. now it's not it's technology based I see it at home I have an amount of technology going to make my life harder but in essence it probably hasn't all of a sudden has changed the nature of, of the game that's there and yeah. uh, it's a worry going forward because like I said I, I've made that choice to go back to go farming and I said I've loads of friends that are in it but a lot of them would all say the same thing it's if they had their choice the freedom of choice whereby they didn't have the chains of family kind of and inheritance yeah, yeah. and I suppose a lot of them mightn't go into it but I uh, said so look that's probably a show for another day yeah it could be I do I do notice that one of the things um, it, when, when I'm one of the things we would do is collect seaweed now I collect a little bit for like the spuds and I'm on a, on a small little patch and you'd be growing away and see we just pour them out there now because you, you have no small hang patch hang on there now the poor farmer that's coming a little quarter my little quarter acre but um, one of the things we do as well is we'd be collecting you know dillisk and um, sea spaghetti and a few different different things that just go well and we know how to use them and that's all grand and people would talk about the health benefits and they give me this list of scientific health benefits but to me the health benefits are a little bit like you were saying of gathering at the creamery and gathering for the mehel is myself and my young fella and, and now my young daughter 
are down on the coast, they're climbing on the rocks, they're in the pools, they're pull, they're pull, they're cutting the seaweed, they're learning to use the scissors. They're like the health for for me is being down on the coastline. It's not what what the, the scientific benefits of of what seaweed does to you, you know. But as you said, look at I know we could go on about it, Tony Og. I, I wanted to uh, throw a quote to you because. One of the things that I struggle with um, when I when I like on the likes of this show, or sometimes I'm talking about the game, is I have uh, I suppose I, I feel different things about the game sometimes than I than I see maybe written um, and, and 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 spoken about in podcasts and stuff like that. And I wonder, do I have even permission to talk about some of them? But Vincent Hogan, I was reading his article on the way up on the train, and honest to God, it just two or three times I kind of just sat back. Now I could be. Hyperbole, and I know the people who criticise the hurling people, like they think that there's an, an arrogance or whatever. But I, there's something in me that it does light me up, and I know it does, or I have a good idea that it does for you too. So I just wanted to throw this at you before going into, or as we go into the Limerick and Clare game. Uh, Carrion, it was a lovely, um, there's a, a, a lovely picture of two lads tackling, and then underneath it has. Hurling, we were reminded, is an ancient language best expressed with emotional ferocity and, yes, aggression that tiptoes along the line between fury and abandon. And I was just like, lovely. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think, like, Vincent, first off, is such a, an unbelievable, creative way of words and the way he's able to paint a picture in terms of the language and the energy he provides around that and you know, if you contrast the, the first minute of the Leinster final yesterday to the first minute of the Munster final over the weekend and how lads were just able to just absolutely explode into the game, everyone with the intent to try and win the ball for their team and whatever way about they went about it, it just created a whole energy for the rest of the game. And when I looked at the Galway game on Saturday evening, there was almost a fear going into a tackle because the first little contact was nearly blown for free and you know, there was no real injury in, in the course of the whole game. And, uh, you know, I think the ref had a huge uh, p- positive part in creating that environment in the Munster final where that fury was allowed to be brought in, that emotion, that energy, that that, that controlled aggression where everyone was just at a, a point of, you know, releasing every bit of train and every bit of energy they had in their body to try and win the ball for their team. And if that meant a body hit or hurl hit, you know, it was, you know, 99% of the time really fair and really good intent from the players. And it just added to the spectacle around rooks, around puckouts, around tackling, around the breaking ball. And, you know, that's what our game is about. When I when I think back at games, I really enjoy it. It's that absolute warlike combat. And, you know, everyone gets a massive energy off it and mm. wants to see it like. Does that come from, I want, I want to get to it a little bit later, but it's just there now hanging. So um, I want to go after it. The, the stadium... I mean, when you've got Thurlis and there's, you know, 47, 48,000 there and it's kind of, it's on the side of the pitch and you feel like, I don't know, like, I, I know the, the game happens, but like when the, when you come out onto the field, that's when, that's the first kind of communal feeling of something. Like, you know, you know what's, you, you know that there's a cauldron there waiting for you and wait, like there's a huge invite to you to kind of just fill that space, you know. Crow Park, on the other hand, and I've played there. I don't know. Like I, I think the, it was. They said it was the worst attended uh, Leinster final for twenty years. I definitely feel like we we, we gave that a run for our, our money a couple of times from Exeter to Plenty Kenny in you know five six seven around that time. But it's empty when there's thirty thousand people there. 
it, it feels empty. You feel the, the echoes in the place, you know. So I I don't know, are we missing a trick there by not going to Tullamore or Port Leash or, or Nolan Park or somewhere else? Well, obviously not Nolan Park with, 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 the, with the game at the weekend, but the possibility of bringing that smaller grounds has to be there. Yeah, I think uh, the Leinster Council, the Galway GA, uh, Kilkenny GA, I think they should have thought this one out a lot better. Um, and I think, you know, the timing of the game in terms of, I think you would have got another five or 10,000 kids at that game the weekend if it was on at a, you know, a standalone time at two or four o'clock. If you had the Galway or Kilkenny Camogie teams playing there, you know, it should be built up to, you know, like the Munster final where you went out to Thurlis in the square yesterday and there's people arriving into it at nine o'clock because there's such an anticipation and excitement around it. And I, I've never really felt that around Leinster final day for whatever reason. It doesn't seem to create that same energy and atmosphere. And I think we need to look at, you know, why are we scheduling that game at seven o'clock in the evening as well on, on the Saturday evening? Coming it from Galway, that's just your whole Yeah, yeah. Like we have people in Galway from Connemara who love their hurling and they might be an hour and a half into Galway City and then another two and a half hours up to Dublin. So how are they going to bring a young family or kids to it? Mm. It's just not feasible. And, you know, we've gone down as Galway players and supporters on a bank holiday Monday evening playing Kilkenny a blow and Thurlis at six and seven o'clock on a bank holiday Monday. And and it just it just doesn't beg to encourage supporters to get into that. And, and supporters create that energy and that atmosphere. So, mm. you know, we need to respect that and look at better ways and say, you know, why can't we put it as a standalone fixture like the, the Munster final in terms of the time and, and getting it right? And if you have to have the, you know, the Joe McDonough final with us and a, and a really good camogie fixture as well, you know, I think you, you create boys and girls, young boys and girls going to that match and, you know, you add 10 or 15 to that gate. Yeah. It's a totally different venue then and the electricity is starting from very early in the day as well around that. Yeah, you're, and you're talking about adding the Connemara people to that electricity too and they bring their, they certainly bring their own their own type of electricity to events. We love the Connemara people as much as they love their hurling. So uh, yeah, there's definitely a loss there. Um, the sense from the Monster Final, Niall, was that for me anyway, and, it, and it's in a couple of different places as well, um, is that finally Limerick, like there was something exceptionally sweet about this for John Kiley in the fact that somebody, a team finally got up to their level. Now, they wouldn't, they might not say that because, you know, I suppose in Limerick, even though you've dominated, you don't have that tradition of domination. So it's not like, you know, up to our level. There's not, there isn't that there necessarily. But finally a team matched Limerick at what they can do and they matched them very well and that brought Limerick to another, almost to another level as well. Now, I don't think they've necessarily played and perfected their, their, their game as they have in, 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 in demolitions of other teams, but it, it, it became its own spectacle and it became a very, uh, uh, it became a, a great battle like and so much was drawn out of them and it was great to see it and lovely to hear John Kiley yeah, experience the win in that way, like. Yeah, I suppose look, like every great champion, like I suppose any great heavyweight boxers, like you know what I mean. They're defined by the rivalries that they had at that time, and I suppose like going back to Kilkenny, like they would have had initially that rivalry with Cork, and then obviously like with Tipperary, I suppose Galway yourselves, Tony there even towards the the latter, maybe not as intense again because of the county boundaries, but it kind of goes back to what you said there earlier on, just about the tribalism. It was ferocious there, mm. and like you would imagine in the lead 
lead up to the game like you know, there was buses from West Clare went down at half eight in the morning they were inside in Turles for half nine mass a lot of them um, but the, you would imagine that the weather would have dampened a lot of what was to come in the game and it was just quite the opposite like bear in mind that that game had, it had been torrential downpour for a couple of hours in the lead up to it which normally dampens spirits but yeah. it, was, it was that tribalism right? and if you're coming back to that Leinster final Tony like Galway the tribesmen Kenny or the Cats the way the game played out it was actually they played counter roles to each other like John Wayne the nature of it but it, Leinster final day has never had that sense of feeling I don't think it's ever had and, and again I think I, I, I do feel we, yeah, we, we, I feel like when we when we're with, Kenny Wexford ha, definitely has had it in the past but it's yeah. very hard in Crow, like maybe not since Crow Park was redone into an eighty thousand seater or something. Like you know, there was there was that franticness definitely in the in the in the Leinster final. And there was that sense of occasion. True, and this was looking. You're probably looking at like population wise too. Like do you know what I mean? The likes of mm. a Wexford, Offaly, Kilkenny. Population wise, they're smaller counties. Whereas Limerick, you come in like you have the Limerick, Cork, Tipperary. There's three of your counties straight away that are populated. But I suppose that sense yesterday of tribalism. Right, mm. I, I I was at the match. My brother James, he was involved with Clare there. Right, I got Clare tickets, Grand Clare tickets. And normally I'm very passive when you're not involved in the match. <clears throat> I like to acknowledge it. Jesus Christ, the game started. This woman behind me, whoop, straight into my ear. She knew who she was going. <laughs> and I says, well, fuck you anyway. I says, I'm, I, I'm not standing for this, right? And it's actually, it was amazing as the game played out. I came away thinking the referee screwed Claire because I was in the middle of the Claire crowd. And in the, I met the Limerick lad, the Casey's parents. I met him after. I said, geez, the referee screwed Limerick. And then you're reading the general consensus. The referee had a great game. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But kind yeah. of going back to it. Sorry, your initial yeah. point. We're kind no, of no, going, that's we're all good. That's we're all kind good. of going off it. Like we are of one people, Limerick and Claire. Like we are as mo- there's very few counties that have such an overlap, given mm. like the two. Shannon, Limerick City, all within, you know what I mean? The populated parts of Limerick are all within 20 minutes of each other, within 20 minutes of each other. But like that was just ferocious. And, and I know the feeling. I met Gary Wren at Mass yesterday morning. He's married to a girl in the hand, Eve Mulcahy. And he says, Oh, geez, you'd beat us 10 points. Do you want this kind of crack now? I'm yeah. this kind of, oh, but Limerick, you're so good now, no one can touch you. Like, knowing damn well what was coming down the tracks. And in fairness to Clare, they brought it, they, they brought it in all games, the league match this year. They brought it they inside did, yeah. in, in Cusick Park. And just yesterday, lads, it was, it was like Tip and Kilkenny in not 9 and not 10. Anybody who was there, they said it was the one, geez, it was like being, those two, those two years were like being the Coliseum. And they yeah. would have sold out Crow Park. Mm. for six months every night for six months in a row back that time and whilst 13 was a great All-Ireland at Cork and, and Clare and I know the typical Kenny All-Irelands and like John I mean, has been great All-Irelands but yesterday in the second half oh man it was Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I won't say what you'd love to be there if you were there you'd have the tongue out and you'd be pulled off <coughs> after 38 minutes but like as in to be at the level which the boys were all 30 mm. man that was just tribal Well 09 that's, it was inter- it's interesting because I was thinking about that coming up 09 I remember we played in I, I'm nearly sure it was 09 we played in the league final um, against Clare and we bet them by a point or two and then Tipperary and Kenny came out onto the field and played the league, the senior league final. Like we were in the junior league final, um, and it was very much that. I looked and I was like, "What is this game?" It was I remember going to see my brother play under fourteen, and I was under twelve. You know, under twelve is like soft kids game, and then it was fourteen. You've got young men playing, you know. And I was like, "Shit!" Like this is I don't know if I'll be able for this. Like this is this is not the game that I know, you know. And if that w- it was like that on, on that day, I was like Wexford and Clare, we were playing a different game to Kenny and Tipperary, but it was the first time a team hit the same level as Kilkenny and the game was just the, the, the three or four games they played in that period were just 
outrageous because there was two teams who'd hit the hit the level. And I think Clare have just hit that with Limerick. It wasn't a big like like Tipperary had a big a big show in the first half, but they were they ran out of steam. Like Clare were at the level. But Tim Kenny back there, Tim Lesson come back to about cross boundary relationships. Like you go to we, all our people yeah, at home or South yeah, Tipperary. You went on South Tip earning for the lads day we would hit like there was cats that did traditionally cats to be lit on fire like yeah. do you know what I mean and I suppose there was an element of that and I suppose to have that real sense of rivalry with the exception maybe of Kerry Dublin go back the years in football I think we knew of that boundary and that probably goes back to what Vincent had said at the start of it just that rawness that passion that tribalism that you associate and like look lads the, the skills wise yeah the skill set was off the, off the charts as well yesterday but man the hits yeah. like you just that they're men they're men and like you just you'd be in awe, in awe of them like. yeah and it was good for John Keane to allow that manliness to to, 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 to not be you know not to not penalise it early so that it allowed to, it was allowed to develop uh, Tony Oak what were you thinking when the ball went over the sideline between the 21 and the 14 on the left hand side in the 72nd minute uh, knowing that Tony Kelly is on the field Oh, you just really admire his mindset, like you know, Declan Hannon's point before that is in general play, so he hasn't much time to think about it. But yeah, but he was calling it, wasn't he? You could see him yeah. calling it, like even though the space was low, he was calling it, like. And he's just so calm in his demeanor. Like he looked around the field to see was there any options there beforehand. He looked really light in his facial expressions, and I'd say in his own head, I'm going to nail this, is what he was telling himself. And you know, he produced a sublime bit of skill, and you know, no real dipping his knee or anything. It was, he was nearly upright straight hitting the sideline, which amazed me that he was able to get it up off the ground and, you know, cut it maybe three or four feet off the crossbar. But I'm no sideline expert, Gizzy, but uh, <laughs> just to, his whole approach on it was just amazing. And, uh, you know, I think Claire thoroughly deserved to, you know, get to extra time on, on the balance of play there. It just brought so much to it. Like There's something, I, f- I feel like there's something in in, re- in the game where you, you can control so much. Um, but sometimes when you're, when your application, your attitude, the way you train, the way you approach the game, the lightness that you're talking about, uh, and 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 the thing that Cody would have always referred to is your like your 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 honesty and integrity with the game itself, uh, and that relationship like with the game itself, not just you know Kilkenny and Tipperary and All Ireland and all that stuff, with the actual game outside of what the GA you know in in, in the way that it's run. There's something about the game responding to the character. It's not just you putting your stamp on the game. It's like the game almost responds to to your integrity. And and I felt the minute the ball went over the sideline, I was like, this like on the left hand side, Tony Kelly is only going to bend it in that way. Duggan had scored one earlier, but it was the wrong side for him. I was just like, this is only this is. I was I was laughing. I was sitting in Paddy O'Shea's with a few of the lads. We play hurling on the beach on a Sunday. I brought a few of them up to watch the game. I said, lad, you should have to. This is the monster final. You have to. They were like, what's the monster final? No clue. And the minute the ball was the minute the ball was put down, I was like, "This is only it, it's written that Tony Kelly is going to score this sideline." Like he just, I, I don't know. Like it, that's that's the game responding to somebody who's in their absolute mastery at the moment. Like, yeah, I think uh, there's a beautiful flow to his approach at the moment, and he's just playing everything on the front foot. He's fearless in his approach, attacking the ball. Is fearless taking on shots. And he just brings a positive energy into every space and every presence he's on the pitch. And, you know, he's fully deserving of all the praise he's getting at the moment because he's setting some benchmark in terms of his overall game and his attitude to the game. And I think any young fellow watching him would just learn and appreciate so much from him. He's 
his level of brilliance and his application is just phenomenal. Like mm, he's yeah yeah he's all around. Just one thing on that though, Tony. Right, and again, like and again, I, I remember you as a player, no different to myself. You were a guy who would have always uh, application was never an issue. All right, um, superb athlete, superb hurler, and had massive great days. But also, what about Tony? Uh, sorry, again, <laughs> <laughs> but like as in, uh, we're, we're all guilty. And I was especially guilty of it. And it's the one thing people say about do you regret anything in your life? I don't regret anything I did. Because I did it in the best of intentions and with that honesty and integrity. Yeah. But the one thing I would say, Tony, and you, it's amazing that you actually went into it as a, as, a, as a job, was inconsistency came from pressure and not performing and not having that confidence in yourself. Like the years where you would have been at your peak when you'd have been nominated for an Oscar and that, confidence wasn't an issue for you because you were just in that flow. But then the following year, you might come back and we're all guilty of it. You had that pressure heaped upon yourself. And like, and all the talk, yes, our players are psycho- or physically, they're developing their skills, gone to a different level. The one thing I see with all of them and it's their consistency of performance bar a minute few. Mm. All right. And like, like as you said about Tony, sure, yeah, that's what Tony, okay, Tony's different. Right, Tony is mm. different gravy because he is a generational player and they're not all going to be generational but I see with our own lads they bring that level of performance and I don't know is that down to the professional help that guys get is that down to just access to more articles more things whereby they're at ease but I even see with Paul there Paul Flanagan a colleague of mine there yep. playing cornerback for Clare again another guy did, always did everything right yeah. Okay, but he got to the point there about three or four years ago, and we'd be great friends. Like we chat about a lot of things, and like he was, he wasn't getting his game at clear. He was starting to be riddled by injuries, and it, he got to the point at maybe twenty, I suppose maybe twenty five, six, where he said, "John, you know I'm nearly done with this." He'd made his peace, and he went away, took a year out of the job, and went away traveling and all the rest, and did a little bit of uh, college course in, in UL along the lines of mental health. I come back to him, I meet him. He's never phased. Pressure of a match, it doesn't come into it. And every He's a new day, player. He's a new player, he, but he's I can't a, get over him. But he's a new, look, he's a great guy in a personal level. He is, And, yeah, and yeah. any of the boys who work with him are normal, I'll tell you that. But he has brought that to his game. And if you ask, it's the one thing I look in at and say, oh man, if I had, a, I, I remember seeking, I remember going to a coach, Joe McKenna, a brilliant manager, a great guy, and he's given a Mount Limerick. I remember saying to Joe one year at the start of the year, um, the girl who was with Wexford, she's uh, she was with Wexford. Neve Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I remember saying, Joe, there's something in my game. Like I was totally inconsistent and had yeah. done all the work, and not that I was ever a star, but it should have been a lot better than what mm. I was. I remember saying to Joe, Jesus, Joe, can I see Neve or can I make contact with her? This was in November of the year previous. I remember being he nearly took that as this guy is weak. Mm. And, I, and he probably I don't know if he hold it against me he wouldn't be that kind of a character but I remember saying this guy is weak and all I was I knew because that, that was the attitude that, of the day like but like, whereas you see the boy you were just I knew psychologically there was an amiss there because when you fluctuate in performance that's a psychology thing whereas you're going back there about Tony Tony just stood up his body form like a good golfer he never changed there was no pressure in the strike because if he had tried to force it we all know Gizzy you were a good man on the, the sidelines now but like if you force the sideline you're going to top it yeah, yeah. same as a golf shot yeah, and uh, because you were a good one too, Giz. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got there uh, again. Uh, no, no, I, 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 I'll take that one. Like, geez, yeah, I, 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 but it was, it was, it was exhaustive practice. Like, yeah. I wasn't good. I wasn't good naturally at them. It was exhaustive practice. Like, we just, I had a good hurley maker. I had Adrian Fenland to look up to uh, in a style of how to hit the ball properly from a sideline. Uh, like, and and then and then it was just my application of it. But I don't know what it would have been like. To level a game, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I never took a sideline to level a game uh, from like a, an outrageous angle <laughs> like that, and and also to be Tony Kelly 
in that moment. Like it's not just you know if you're if, if my, Peter Duggan, it's a little bit lighter. Like you know, it's there's something. And he'd missed chances. He had. He, yeah. Do you know what I mean? By Tony's standard, like as in five points play, he was unbelievable. He still left five wides behind him, but again, testament. How are I have actually you know what we'll continue into the game there's something I want to chat to you about later and, and hopefully we get back to it um, there's there's something about uh, we, we all make comparisons to the, the, to the Greg Kenny team I suppose one of the things that Clare seemed to get right was um, Conor Cleary on Aaron Gillan and there was this kind of focus coming into the game on, on Gillan and not not realising that somebody else can step up and get eight points once Conor Cleary is is busy with Galan. Like you have this range now of capability where um if one fellow doesn't do it, somebody else can seem to do it with the very same effectiveness, if not more, you know. Yeah, and Seamus and, and Limerick needed Seamus there like, obviously they did, yeah. like you need him like, like you have to bear in mind, look, you're down Keane and Peter, two of the top fours in the country. And uh, one thing like that contest between Cleary and Aaron, like that was phenomenal and Cleary just he just physically he, he went for it, he beat him and that's the one thing with the Clarebacks. They they've gone physically to try and get ahead of their men. And I'd say the amount of times Aaron was on the ball, but again, testament to him the last two points near yeah. Normal time, he was he was just surviving. He was in survival mode, but still came away with a massive contribution. And look, Seamus just he he just hit fire. He's a he's a guy I'd say uh, Gizzy that you might want down here at times. An interesting kind of a guy, you know, yeah. a, a Seamus. But see, he'd been injured. See, these are things you don't know. He'd been injured there coming into the original Clare game, and like Rory Hayes, top cornerback, and yeah, he yeah. Just, again he just picked off his points uh, every chance. He was so clinical in what he did, and she's only formed like, six points to play in normal time and a monster final. And Rory. He's on an all-star like it was was incredible Gerard Hegarty was a little bit quieter but the the one thing it was a great talk of the you know the flick over the head and all that and that was great his his, his execution once he got on the ball uh, for the goal was brilliant what I thought was brilliant was he was coming in for the catch and he saw Tom Morrissey in front of him and Tom Morrissey is exceptionally strong in the air and there's a subtlety here that is completely I think missed by 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 like if you're not kind of tuned into it I think is you're always playing a percentages game uh, with high balls you're like okay who's who's strong and like you're kind of you're, you're judging what's going on uh, Tom Morrissey under the ball is Hegarty decided I think this is pretty good there might be two coming in but I still think it's pretty good and I'm just going to go back it's not him taking he doesn't take the lazy option he doesn't like drift off out for no reason <coughs> I thought the brilliant thing about the goal was he played the statistics perfectly there and he moved knowing that Morrissey was ideally positioned before any other magic happened. I thought that was the magic in that in that move. Yeah, and again, look, I, I could take the, the basic thing to, here and say, look, there's a telepathy with these guys. They trust each other and they all know what skill set is, blah, blah, blah. Watch the movement of Gerard Hegarty off the ball. For all his physical traits and for all his skills and that, his movement off the ball, like as in fellas, he's always first to it, and he is reading that game at a different level the whole time. And like, look, that's what good forwards do. Like, good forwards will always take their chance, um, and he t- he took his chance. But man, his execution, his execution, his flick over. Like again, this is coming back like that's it's just outrageous to do it. But Garod, like he was like uh, he was inside in the Coliseum there yesterday, and, and he was the guy that you want to Caesar to kill. Yeah, oh my yeah. God, the clear crowd if they got out as they were shouting for his head from day that. And I say he's cool as ice. Like he obviously just thrives off that. He yeah. knows what they think about him. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah, like, yeah. You know? I mean, he's had to deal with it now. What do you, Tony? Oak, what do you see in in terms of what John Kiley has uh, has has brought to Limerick? And there, I know it's. Paul Canark and there's a whole backroom team as well but what is it that they're doing to get to this level um, I mean look at there, I know there's a thousand answers to that but 
in general, where do you see this consistency, that consistency of performance that seems to be there um, and, and that thriving that Niall is talking about, the likes of Garoud, like thriving, can't wait for the battle that other, you know, other players might have a little bit of like, yeah, not, not, not as sure, you know? Yeah, I think just going back to the individual as a player first, I, I see a lot of kind of self-determined players in there in terms of they know that this has appeared in time of their lives and they want to absolutely max it. And in fairness, John has created a brilliant environment in there in terms of he is the best, the best of coaches that the GA has ever produced at St. Paul Canerk. And, uh, you know, he's a huge, huge cog in that in terms of, you know, the coach inside of it. You know, Sean O'Donnell, uh, lucky enough to experience in both the Ballygunner and Limerick, another outstanding analysis, not just, you know, given stats and numbers, his breakdown of, of opposition and, and their own team improvement as well. And, you know, that's a big thing with John, I think, you know, that... They had a wipe to say clean on, on last year and the last couple of years. It's just about this season for them and they just want to evolve as a team, I'd imagine, and get better week on week and game on game. And he constantly referenced that throughout the season. And, you know, there's there's no end to how much this team can keep developing if they keep that mindset. And you can see that in the progress. You know, they've been very patient in terms of developing the squad, like the likes of Connor Boyle in there now a couple of years. And, you know, they've stayed with him, persisted with him, coached him. And a huge impact when he came in yesterday. And you can even see it then in the likes of Garod, how much he's developed in the last three to four seasons. And he's continuing to improve in terms of those subtleties of the game, in terms of his movement and, you know, what he brings yesterday in terms of, you know, people say he didn't score as much, but the work rate around the field, the little freezy one in his own half and rooks and, you know, all those aspects are just vital to the whole cog. And, you know, every single day there's someone new stepping up. Seamus, as you mentioned, had been out with an injury and that takes time to recover but yesterday when they need an inside score he came up and it'll probably be Aaron the next day and it'll probably be Keane back in for a semi-final as well so that that's the threats that they have and, and, and they'll need all of them to repeat success again like how hard is it to get that balance of if you know the dependence the dependency uh, it's increased to no end on statistics and reading you know what's coming out of games how the opposition are playing like how do you are, are, are young players now just soaking that in like are they really really into that um, or is there a kind of a balance of like here we'll give you a little bit but you know stay focused on your own thing and stay focused on your own enjoyment and, and, and does it go overboard sometimes yeah, I think in when I see that getting wrong German I think it is the the, the, the teams that aren't doing it so well is there's too much information for players in terms of measurement of everything and mm. they can become kind of perfectionist then in their tendencies around sleep or nutrition or the gym side of it and you know that's not healthy either there has to be a level of freedom and, and flow and expression and enjoyment in your week in terms of knowing enough you know that you're improving and making progress knowing enough about your opponent but you know, the best teams are probably putting an 80 or 90% emphasis on themselves and, you know, bringing the right attitude, bringing the right energy, bringing the right concentration in terms of their approach to the game on themselves, you know, their enjoyment of it, focused on their process and their performance and, you know, getting the max out of themselves. And yes, we know what the team we're, we're playing against are going to bring, but, you know, we're going to play it on our terms, so to speak. And, you know, I think that balance is very important because there's a world of data out there and you can get caught up in the, the science too much and it takes the enjoyment out of mm. it and there's too much uh, analysis then and too long the meetings and that drains people's energies. Sometimes I get the sense that uh, the, the statistics and the analysis can measure what has happened. 
Uh, and when you look at particularly with great players but but players who seem to control time a little bit you know they can step out of the, the rhythm of the game and and make things happen that what that that what could happen isn't valued as much as what does happen and I think when you have players thinking that way there's invites to passes there's invites to moments that like the statistics say you sh- it's it's not it's not there, but the player himself sees it. And there's a kind of a, a little bit of a battle there, I think, with the, the dependency at times on statistics versus that creative moment when you're on that creative edge, like the game is just unfolding and you see something and you want to follow it, but it may not be in the playbook. Like, are, 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 we, are, we, are we in that tension a little bit or are we, is that, is that like American football uh, five, six years down the road? It depends what your coaching group are, are referencing. You take uh, Garrod's goal yesterday, like, you know, the brilliance for the split second, David Mackett caught ball watching and he's spotted that and he's drifted into space. Or, or Tony Kelly and is, you know, kind of seen two and three plays ahead of him and he's drifted mm. into a gap between the two wing backs. You know, if you're encouraging that in your analysis and that creative and imaginative play nice, in your training Tony, sessions, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're going to see more and more of those brilliant players coming up where... You know, you say in a soccer instance at the moment, where's the next Ronaldo or Messi coming? Because, you know, they've probably been drilled and overcoached too much in the academies and we're not seeing that street football coming forward. So mm. thankfully, I think if we have the, the right coaching continuing in Hurling and we allow it to happen in our training environment, we should be getting these Keen Lynches, these Gero Tegarty's, these TJ Reeds, the Joe Cannings that we've seen the last generation. And it's just been magic. And, you know, that's the great thing that we're, we're producing even greater players now, I think, in, in, in the last couple of years. I, I do worry sometimes that, like, <clears throat> you know, maybe a Johnny Pilkington mightn't make the Offaly panel now, for example, because he mightn't do the seven days a week and all of the nutritional stuff and there's an, an enigmatic nature to those players that I think they can you can almost give them that little bit of leeway and license to you know to curb a mind like that is is, is detrimental to the to the development of the team and, and, I, and I think it's probably there for you maybe you're seeing these things now and seeing well, this is what I wish Tony Og knew when he was 24. I wish I had this analysis. I wish I had that done. And it reminded me of what you were talking about, Niall, there a few minutes ago. And I, and, I, and I wanted to reference it because I think it's very, very important. Is that when you went looking for that direction and it wasn't really there, that you have now transported yourself, I suppose, as, as the more fully formed Niall Morn and you're teaching and you're having an influence on young fellas' lives um, and outside of the game as well. And you get that opportunity now to give to the young Niall Morn who is in front of you now as a 15 and 16 year old looking for that more roundedness who's looking to release that the strain and the stress of performance and trying to keep keep up you know so I think it's of immeasurable benefit in a way that you you had that struggle because it's it's paying dividends for the young fellas that you're working with I suppose the truest form of expression in any walk of life is when you're at one with yourself I mean, I suppose, and Tony, again, this is I suppose, your day to day, but I suppose the thing that I'd see there is, okay, for those guys who are in the setup that you were in, Tony, with Limerick and who aren't, they go in there, all they have to do is go to work for that hour and a half. They don't have to worry about tactically what what we do against the next game out, which, going back to our time, your time, Gizzy, there have always been input and over and back with the with management. They don't have to have that worry of, Jesus, we, we know that it's a goal we're doing, an unbelievable, great physical trainer, we're a mile after them. Because they would have been inadequacies that, Sean, we'd have experienced back the years, you'd have always had this sense of longing. Now, 
in the same breath did we use that as a crutch for bad performances yeah maybe that could be thrown at us mm. as well but kind of going back to what you were saying is so that I- expression will come when you're at one with yourself and the one thing I would see as a, a protagonist with dealing with young lads from whatever 12 up to 18 you talk to them be empathetic get to know the person do a small just do a small thing ask them how things are at home it is immeasurable and I suppose the one thing about set up with Limerick, it's a very much a sense of ordinary, but everyone cares for each other. There's a genuine, nothing comes out of it, no bad stories come out of it. Even in the recent discipline issue there, there was nobody hung out to dry. Do you mm. know what I mean? John Coyley could have made a big statement, big song and dance about it. He didn't. A guy made a small error in going out of a night that he shouldn't have had. He paid the price as, look, he had to do it, but he'll be back in there at a later stage. He'll learn from that lesson and he will give that back to John Coyley in another way in the next couple of years. Mm. And I suppose that is the one thing when you're comfortable in yourself, you can express to that artistic, that creative side that will come with it. Mm. Uh, do, you, do you have any sense that Limerick are unfairly criticised or unfairly judged by the I don't know who the GA community are I mean is this is this just people you know writing stuff in papers or saying stuff in podcasts or whatever but do you have any sense that it's maybe overly critical um, and not kind of celebrating you enough for, for the achievements that you have in the way that Kilkenny would have been celebrated but I suppose that's a reflection of society I'm sure the great United teams of the 90s into the 90s we couldn't get rid of them quick enough do you know what I mean and now we have a situation where we, none of us would mind seeing United win a league or bar us Liverpool fans of course but yeah. I suppose like there's such a saturation of media at the moment everybody's trying to find an angle it's like we come on here at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock whatever time it is of a Monday everyone is already disseminated up to maybe 20 articles on a game that are eventually overlapping which then becomes our modus operandi our opinion and I think then when you have a team that is successful the nature of people and most especially Irish people like we always that sense of begrudgery is innate and all of us maybe comes from the our, our sense of the, the, how we're kind of held over by the British or their kind of sense of anarchy over us we always that bitterness it's innate if we're, if we're not us. sure what it is we'll blame the British <laughs> for it anyway. uh, but uh, as, I suppose like we'll uh, maybe Maybe there's, there's that element of it and I, I, I don't really sense it I, probably there's individuals within that Limerick setup that get they're, they're kind of painted as the bad guys but yeah. again look I suppose when you don't have that sense of rivalry and for a lot of counties at the moment they're probably not at their strongest um, do you know what I mean there's a lot of counties that are just probably hitting a little bit of a lull and Limerick happened to be at the opposite end of the spectrum and I suppose with that then there's probably there was up to maybe yesterday you could argue a kind of a gap and then when there's a gap between the rich and the poor in this case people will have that sense of begrudging really that kind of comes with what you're saying yeah yeah uh, we'll, we'll I begrudgingly <coughs> now maybe move over to <laughs> The Leinster final because uh, we James Ryle on here last week and he was fighting the fighting the good cause for the the Leinster Munster debate and 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 how you know the, how how uh, you celebrate the Munster final as this great event and I don't think uh, I don't think James could have said too much uh, this week it was it was poor fair really Tony Og I felt I mean as a spectator maybe I mean looking at looking at the game um, maybe from a tactical point of view or looking at how Kilkenny maybe moved the ball in a different way than they had been doing it maybe you know if you're a Kilkenny man this morning maybe you're looking at all those things and you're happy enough uh, as a Galway man I imagine that just the, the lack of performance the lack of that opportunity to really kind of let let rip whatever is in them to let rip never seemed to develop yeah, I think that would be the real annoyance for the players and management that, you know, through their own Robin, I think there was a real consistency of performance in terms of their energy, their intensity, their tackling and their style of play and their score creation. And, 
you know, they still created as many chances as Kilkenny the last day. And if they got a couple of those goal chances that they were a bit off with in the first half, it might have just lifted the energy of the group. But, you know, I'd say hand in heart is probably three or four players out of the starting 15 would have been happy with their level of performance. And, you know, the rest would say there's massive improvement for them. And, you know, sometimes finals, for some reason, come in on, on Galway teams in terms of, you know, we say they weren't driven enough or they weren't motivated enough. You know, fear of losing or, or fear of success and those aspects can impact players differently. And, you know, lads that have played very well through their own robin, they were making handling errors the last day. They didn't seem to bring the same energy. And, you know, that can be the, the pressure of, you know, a final and what it can lead to. And that comes down to, you know, what's the collective mindset at the start of the week and their approach to the game? What's the individual mindset and the approach to the game? And, you know, what are, what are we talking about this week that we want to achieve? Is it all outcome-based or, you know, are we taking some of that pressure off the players and making sure that we have a very clear process we're bringing that energy, that sense of freedom and, and, and expression to their performance on our week and, uh, you know, getting the most out of ourselves. So, you know, likely Galway will learn an awful lot from that game the last day. And I think, you know, you'll see a different version in two weeks' time. And, you know, I still think they'll have a big part to play in terms of, you know, uh, you know having a shout for this championship. Like. But like all that said, like when you look at the Munster final, when you look at what, not the Munster final, but like when you look at what Clare and Limerick brought and you look at how much Galway brought, like it, it, it seems, and, and, and <clears throat> Kilkenny maybe to a lesser extent, is that the standard? I mean, I think it was, it was really only Conor Whelan who, who, who played the standard in terms of the Galway forward line. The rest of them seem to leave an awful lot at home. I don't think that's just down like Kilkenny backs. I mean, like the, it, 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 was, it was more of a backs game than a forwards game for sure, but they seem to leave a lot behind and there has to be a frustration like regardless of the you know the breakdown of the process and how those things work and the preparation and everything else like just releasing just releasing like the, that lack of a release um, for a Leinster final like it's 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 I don't know it's it's frustrating like it's frustrating to watch it because you're like Geez, I know there's so much more in these fellas you know yeah, definitely. I think you could go into the tactical side of it. I think that would be the wrong conversation to have as a group force. It's why we didn't maybe go after it in that terms and what you're saying in terms of our energy and intensity and, and what came across us that, you know, impacted that. Because, yes, Kilkenny kind of knew goal we're going to set up with five forwards and they worked it very well in terms of, you know, having the extra defender there and playing it across the field and, and giving, you know, ample opportunities to their forwards then in terms of a better delivery inside. But, you know, Galway would have set up that way for a lot of the round robin games and would have yeah. worked a lot better. Yes, we just didn't seem to bring that energy and, and that support for each other around the field. And, you know, that's the question the players and management need to find out in the next two weeks to make sure that that part of it is right and tactically then, you know, the rest can fall into place. Is Cody thriving on the Shefflin, uh, Shefflin being in the, in the other dressing room at Galway in a sense? Yeah, this is the argument that people are having. Um, I was angry watching it, right? Were you? Yeah, I, I genuinely was. At the end? Yeah, I was I, I genuinely angry, right? Okay, first and foremost, we all qualified. None of us have left the endearing legacy that Brian Cody will leave on the landscape mm. of GA. Um, none of I, I most especially am not qualified to, to pass comment on a guy who's won on Ireland both as a player and multiples uh, as a manager. However, the one thing I, I will feel that I should comment on is everything that every time we take to a field to train a team or to train I always use the Kilkenny model their approach it's the, the qualities that they have are the thing that you always want to kind of 
instill in your team. Yeah. And that, and and their biggest quality that they always had was a sense of or ordinary, like being the ordinary. All right, as in just the sense that you said they're great people. All right, and mm. that and it's the one thing the genuineness, the, and yeah, the, the honesty, the, and the, the genuine, the, the honesty, and okay, I know what you said about the honesty and integrity on the pitch, but off the pitch, like any people, you just enjoy their company. They're, yeah. they're great fun, great humour, great wit, but there's a great sense of a person in them. All right, yeah. it's the one thing that I, as a fan of Limerick, would take the most pride in our group is that I do think that they're just from the manager down, they're a very, very nice group. I think most, do you know what I mean? Most self respecting mothers would love for their daughter to marry one of them. And I suppose you see the picture of the boys without the tops in the paper today. <laughs> I definitely say they want to marry him. But uh, no, on a serious note, why I was angry, right? Like it was obvious, okay. Like this was like a, a playground, a kind of a, a playground fight, kind mm. of spilling onto Crow Park. Like obviously, what happened today against Salt Hill that stunned Shefflin. I don't think he saw it coming, and, and no. maybe the instant of the way it happened, I don't think it was ever meant as what it was. I think Cody's mind was gone onto the ref, and the handshake became irrelevant in his head at the time. But obviously, people paid attention to it; it manifested. So the obvious thing here was: look, the game was over. Like he won his match. There's nothing worse than a, a bad winner. Yeah. Bad loser, you'd say he doesn't like losing. A bad winner. That game was over. When have you ever seen Sheffield or Cody going on eulogising with his players after a Leinster final win? Mm. Even after an Ireland final win, you'd, you'd seldom see it. He might do it with his management. He went and he was talking to the Galway boys. I've never se- I have personally have never seen him kind of go to an opposition and show them that respect. It was as if a case of, it was like the cat who got the cream, he was looking over mm. and saying, now little boy, back in your box. Mm. And Shefflin, obviously, eventually, he said, hey, yeah, I'm going to go over and shake his hand. And I just thought it was so wrong, it was so petty, it reflected very, very badly on somebody who we all respected so mm. much. I just... And if you add in then the year that Shefflin has had, and if you see the look in his face, like, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, Shefflin is, remove his greatness as a player, he's just honesty. You see it You see it in the man's hands, you see it in his face, you saw it as an analyst, as in, like, Shefflin is just a great guy. My man wouldn't come over and shake his hand. I just, I, I don't care what happens. And if Cody, maybe he's hanging on to win this next All Ireland and he'll sail off into the sunset or maybe win the next 10 All Irelands. Jesus, man, I, I taught you more than that. Yeah, I honestly taught you more than that, and, and I'm—I don't know what the guys, Kenny guys, the ex-players, the, the Eddie Brennans and Derek Lings and all these boys, what their true opinions of Cody as a man is. But as a spectator looking in, as someone who tries to instill those virtues in the team, I was there. Man, I, I, it left a very bad feeling mm. to me. I uh, looking at the the, the handshake. We, we won't know. I suppose people can lip read away and decide what was said. Uh, we probably won't ever know what was said, but. My sense of it, looking at on, on screen, was I, I, I thought, I, I don't know, I'd have to look maybe more closely at games, was in the immediate aftermath of the whistle, there's maybe a minute of like your 30 seconds of you, you're getting, you know, the chairman is generally up on your shoulders and there's whoever wants to get in for the, the team, the, the photograph in the paper the next day kind of comes jumping in. And then they go over and there's a handshake. Now I felt at that stage, I felt Cody was kind of, I felt he was kind of loitering around the, the sideline area and I thought Shefflin was standing with the arms folded the camera cut to him he was standing there with the arms folded and he was just trying to maybe digest I don't think he was acting through with the handshake he was just trying to digest what went on but I thought that was the time for the two of them to come together and have a handshake and it didn't happen so then Cody went onto the field and then Shefflin had to end up going and chasing him I don't know if that's what when he was coming back he was nodding his head because he had to actually he was put into the position of having to go chasing him but I did think 
in and and I and I and I and I, you know uh, his his I think Brian Cody's legacy is important because we have followed what he has said for a long time and we all have a huge amount of respect for him. He set the tone for how the game is played and how Limerick are continuing to play it. But I did feel that there was a window there that had Shefflin been turned. I think he might have. There, 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 there might have been that opportunity there from to come at that stage. I don't know. I suppose. Look, is what, what ultimately what we're saying is we're getting into the intricacies of Something the, we don't the, know the, about. the most natural human behaviour in the world. But uh, really, I suppose where the conversation lies is in an era where we see know so little about our, our our players and indeed our management. Every little window of opportunity into the person that is. It's the first thing people ask you when you go into a setup. What's Keane Lynch like, or what's yeah, Joe, yeah, what's yeah. Joe Canning really like? Because none of us know them as that people. Whereas this, to me, it was it was a small window into somebody's soul, uh, and that's again. Look, maybe I'm being very, very harsh, and maybe in his head it's different. But as I said, to, to me, I was just I was awful disappointed because yeah. that's that's the foundation so on, on which teams have, have based themselves over the last twenty years. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. My a little bit blinded by by uh, the respect that I have for him, but I, I I certainly felt there was that opportunity. But you know, I could be wrong. Uh, I, it, it, it always comes to the end, and I know with you two fellas, uh, we could go on for uh, another another good while on a few of those things. And there's loads, loads of stuff missed. Um, but I I was. Down in Kilorglin on uh, Saturday night, and uh, my 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 wife was was performing um, some poetry, and I had the young one down as well. She's only a year and a half, you know. And as soon as she saw the mother up on stage, that was that was that was food, and that was like you know I want to get up there. And so she was screaming, and I said, "Well, look at, I'll be the bigger man here now, and I'll I'll take the child out of here." And I went straight up the road, <laughs> straight up the road to the nearest pub that was showing the hurling. And I went in uh, to the to the Joe McDonough final to watch. Uh, and I, I got the plaudits for it later for you know for for taking the child. But I got to see the Antrim uh, and Kerry game. And there was passages where I thought, I where I was worried. I felt that Antrim were, were, were always going to win it. Um, but looking at the Kerry style at times and the way they were playing the game, I felt that if Wexford were going to be in any way, I was thinking, you know, selfishly, if Wexford were going to be anything below or anything like maybe how they played against Westmead, if they're going to be in relaxed in any way, the Kerry down in in Killarney or in Tralee would have a, a, a very good opportunity of, uh, of of beating them. I thought it was like the speed and the intensity, those, the combination of aggression, speed and intensity is definitely, it's it's more prevalent, it's more... Uh, visible in Antrim, Kerry do have a little bit of a way to go, but it was a great game, Tony Oak. Yeah, I think um, obviously Antrim's development has been really accelerated in terms of playing Division One National League last couple of seasons, and you can see the the skill set in terms of they have a really strong club championship up there, and uh, you know I think they're going going in a really good direction. Some of the scores, some of their forward play, some of their transition from defence to attack in terms of their striking to hands, their movement off the ball. You know, they're giving the ball at the right time to man and scoring positions. You know, it was a joy to behold. And I suppose none of us really saw that coming, that change coming when they were probably 11 or 12 points up. But in fairness to Kerry, showed unbelievable resilience. And, you know, I was involved with Offaly this year and Offaly put a, you know, eight or nine point lead on them at one stage this year down in Kerry. And, you know, Kerry turned around the second half and, and went into a lead and looked like they were going to win the game down there. Offaly pipped them at the end. So, you know, they've shown unbelievable resilience throughout the season under under Stephen. And, you know, it's very difficult for those guys after losing three Joe Max in a row, but it's an unbelievably competitive championship in and five or six teams can win it. And, uh, you know, I think it was at a really good level this year from all the matches I viewed. There's a lot of good teams on a good level and a good trajectory. And I think it's a really great competition for those teams.
teams trying to aspire to get to the next level in terms of Lee McCarthy? Um, I, there's a few, there's a, a good few contenders, but Steve Malumphy is possibly one of the nicest fellas in 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 sport in Ireland. Not to mention the GA, like he's such, I just have such a fondness for him. Just in his general and how you hear him speaking about, you know, being part of the Munster Championship next year. But he's, he said, look, I'll take the hand and all off you to get there, but we have to win Joe McDonough first. He's not, there's not this kind of entitlement of saying, oh, we should, we should be this or we should be that. You know, he has just that humility that was, you know, the way he always was. I'm wondering what you saw, um, Tony Oak, in terms of your, the, the, the preparation with where, I mean, Offaly have obviously got a tradition, but when you're coming up against uh, Kerry in terms of the conditioning and the speed that they're working at, how far... Do they? How far do they have to come? I mean, a two eleven five down. You're thinking, my God, like this is going to be a thrashing, and all of a sudden, you know, they start, they they, they start mobilising. Um, where where are they at in terms of development? How many steps are there before they like? I don't know. A monster championship definitely seems like just way too far at the moment, but certainly higher maybe in the leagues to get that little bit of a, a little bit of a taste of 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 the top level. Yeah, and after being exposed this year with Offaly to Division 1, the National League, I think there needs to be another tier there from Joe Mack to Lee McCarthy in terms of, you know, maybe three, we'll say, really high Division 1 level teams and maybe three from the Joe Mack mixed into a league scenario and that for maybe two or three years to allow lads to build to that intensity, that speed of play, that speed of thought, you know, that aggression level. And, you know, there is a really sizable gap in terms of it's still there at the moment, I think. And, and it's going to take a bit of creative work from Crow Park to, you know, bring on, you know, the teams we mentioned there, the Currys and the Antrums to really get to a consistent level where they can compete, for, I suppose, for a provincial title. And it might take three to five years, but it's going to take those right fixtures and those right environments in terms of the league. There's no point putting them all in with serious, you know, top four teams and getting 15 or 16 point hammerings two or three years in a row. That, that's not sustainable either. But I think there's probably a tier below that where they're getting two or three of those matches plus two or three of their own uh, level teams. And you're, you're still building a, a level of progression and competence then through the season and exposing them to, you know, what the next level is in terms of that tiered approach. So I think we need to get creative in terms of that the next two to three years to make sure that these teams don't get disheartened and we can maybe move them into the bracket of Westmead this year where, you know, the three or four really competitive performances in the round robin in Leinster and it's about getting more teams up to that level and, and, and consolidating the number of competitive teams we have in Ireland in terms of hurling. Niall, what's your, how do you, uh, I suppose, yeah, it's 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 hard to ask the question of the te- the fellas who like it's better to hear from I suppose a Stephen Malumphy or better yet some of the you know some of the Kerry players or you know to, just to, to listen to what they they feel they need or people who are involved but that's a it's a, a unique approach and a suggestion I think we should always be tinkering with the structures in order to bring more teams in to bring more teams up to a standard I think that's 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 only a good thing and and to, to maintain that kind of creative attitude of well <clears throat> we can trial it because if it doesn't work you know we just try something different or whatever you, you can't mess too much with it but there does have to be some I think effort but what do you what, what do you see first thing is I don't want to be condescending in my comments because unless you've worked there in, in the element that Tony has like I, I'm speaking in a vacuum I suppose oftentimes the solution might be a lot simpler than what you actually think it is and it, to be fair Joe McDonough has gone from strength to strength which you know, at, at the start you would have said it could have been like the Tommy Murphy Cup equivalent in football yeah. which filtered into nothing but like oftentimes when you look at the club 
So at the club scene, again, obviously it's tiered, like you have juniors, whatever else, but you have a situation in a junior championship where they play clubs, uh, second teams, all right? Yeah. Now, I don't know, is there a gap whereby, like in most inter-county teams there, I know Clare, for instance, they have 40 guys on their panel, all right? I don't know, is it a case of that for league fixtures of a Sunday, you pick your 20, 25, and at the other 15, 20, now go into a kind of a lesser league, but... Again, Tony, you know the standards probably better than I do, but I know like that if you hit a situation where numbers 20 to 34 or 5 play against a carrier with me, then you're balancing it up. And it's a rising tide, given the, the <coughs> financial inputs that have gone into all these inter-county teams. Like the biggest issue for a lot of county managers is trying to keep guys happy with relevant games. And in a lot of cases, as we've all seen, the guy who goes in on the tail end of the panel, he regresses because he doesn't get games. So is there an opportunity, no different to the Premier League in soccer, where you have your under-23s and of particular clubs play against the reserve teams of the stronger clubs? Maybe there is solving two problems with one stone and how you dress that up in a, in a league fixture but maybe something like that is, and it's not as condescending and within that like if we are really realistic about kind of trying to bring on uh, the lesser counties well we should be going to them they should need to stop coming to us and like the guys above an answer with that I'm sure Darren Gleeson one of his biggest issues Maybe not so much this year because they've had a lot of games, but in traditional for traditional Lancashire managers was getting high class games because yeah. they have to come they have to come down. So like in terms of like why can't our All Ireland champions and our All Ireland runners up first two games of the year go back up to wherever it is Antrim down down to Kerry like that creates a hype in those places. They will go to see the Limerick team play before they go to see Offaly play Kerry and I know he played in Malone Aston Stack and what was a cracker there three or four weeks ago Tony like ultimately the kids still want to see the stars on TV and with mm. due respect to that Offaly team they're not recognisable whereas if Limerick sent down a team of stars straight away now we're giving a little bit of hype and then put the, the foundation stone of that auxiliary league then maybe look it's novel but it already exists yeah yeah I think there's definitely that there's definitely that appetite to it's yeah how do you get how how do you get the biggest fellas down because I think not only when you're talking about like the kids get to see them coming into their locality as well but I always found as a as a player too like you know when you're starting your preparation I saw the players who weren't preparing for an All-Ireland they were preparing to play for Wexford and preparing maybe to get a nice gear bag and, and some, a nice tracksuit or whatever and in their preparation October, November, December January, February they weren't really they weren't about their business at that stage they weren't about the business of, of, of an All-Ireland now they talk about an All-Ireland we had like sports psych you know what's your aim for the year oh winning an All-Ireland and I'm just looking at you saying what are you talking about you're not preparing for it like so if, if you have that opportunity to prepare when you know you've got a big game in early in the year, your preparation is for something much, much bigger. Whereas it's that, it's that I, I don't know, they, they often say, I, I doubt it, to be honest, when I hear it, that the Kerry fellas or the Offaly fellas, Tony Ogie could put me straight in it very easy, or the Kildare fellas or any of them train as hard as the Limerick fellas. Like, I don't see it. I could be wrong. But that only comes from exposure. I, yeah. I, and go back two seconds here. Tipperary's first game of the year, lads, was against Kerry. In the in the Munster League, they were beaten. Mm. Right? Was that a pre like a lot of those guys saw action throughout the championship? Was that a prelude as to what what was to come later on in the year? It was. 
yeah. straight away and ultimately on, on the flip side of it sure the only time you ever really realised how good your training was or what level it was was when you pitted yourself against the best because yeah. you often you think you're in the gym and you're so much stronger than lads in your own county team and your club team and then you play a game and I remember playing we played Kilkenny in 05 first exposure to Kilkenny properly I remember going for a ball with a name check here now I was right good I, I was near Shefflin <laughs> yeah. near him being probably within 15 yards of his face but I remember he just put his hand out for a ball he drove me back mm. I remember coming away that whole winter all I was thinking about was I'm not remotely strong enough to play this game mm. but uh, you, that lesson is only learned in the heat of battle Tis. so like, uh, and again there is a duty of all Herning counties to promote Leicester counties yeah. and that, that is and again it's, it, we're being condescending and talking about it but as I said to you there are solutions that already exist in club structures throughout the country yeah yeah, look at we could go on, lads. We could definitely go on. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna wrap it up there. Um, we've got. Uh, let me see. So Cork and Antrim, Wexford and Kerry to look forward to. So we'll be back next week to digest that and to look forward to uh, the next the next stages of the All Ireland series. And uh, we'll have Limerick back in action. Kenny back in action a couple of weeks later. Thanks very much for joining us. My thanks to Tony O'Gregan for coming in. Uh, from Galway and uh, Niall thanks for making the, the, the trip up um, from, from Limerick and now you have to get back to your darling cows and, uh, and, and get a bit of work done but thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you again Slán You're listening to the GAA Hour with Dermot Ling on Sports Joe Donald Donovan is the left corner back he hits it he hits it wow. it's over the bar oh holy Moses what a match there's been a missing person in jail for 81 long years. Well, today, that person has been found alive and well, and that person's name is Liam McCarthy. They know as much about serious level sport as I know about the sleeping habits of the Ayatollah. There's a, a streaker on the ground now. He must be a Kilkenny man because he's quite happy with the situation right now. 